and welcome to Sci-Fi Sidebar. I'm your co-host, Cece. And I'm Peter, your other co-host. Welcome to our episode on the Canticle for Leibowitz, or a Canticle for Leibowitz, I should say, by Not just Walter. the one. <laughs> well, it is probably more than one Canticle, because he is a saint, and his brotherhood did seem to escape Earth in peace, in one piece. Well, sort of Spoilers. one piece. Spoilers. In the only remaining piece. Is it a spoiler? Because I'm pretty sure everyone who's listening to this has read the book. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Peter, I feel like I got a glimpse of how you felt about this book uh, in our in our setup conversation, but tell me. <laughs> Let's be clear, listeners. Our setup conversation is primarily me, Cece and I texting, and <laughs> she's saying, hey, can we do later tonight? And I say, sure. I was kind of hoping to play Fallout 4. But that'll be fine. So So clearly Peter buys into the universe. If nothing else, it gave me the post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland itch. (laughs) And because it is nuclear, it will probably never go away. It's just like a... It's your new mutation. (laughs) This is a consequence of living in that universe is being itchy all the time, I assume. (laughs) I mean, they're trying to paint an earthly hell, right? And that sounds like an earthly hell to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I very much enjoyed this book, as I usually end up enjoying all of our books, which is... That's true. Kind of, you know, weird. But anyway, I thought it was both thought-provoking and depressing. <laughs> As much of the mid-20th century sci-fi is. Yeah, pretty bleak. I mean, I I can't remember if we mentioned this or not, but neither of us has read this book. Um, and I, it was one of those things where I had read, like, the very basic premise, like, oh, it's, it's monks in, like, a post-apocalyptic America. And I'm like, that sounds cool. Let's do it. <laughs> like, I, and then I deliberately blinded myself from further information because I didn't want anything spoiled. Because I think that there probably because the book is so old there are a lot of spoilers out there like kind of about i guess the cyclical nature of it really? now we kind of end up in the same place i have never found anything that pointed directly to this i mean i guess now that i've read the whole thing i'll probably end up seeing it but like pointed directly to the book or like well, like shared information about the book and its plot things that are direct like indicate that this is the p- part of the plot from the book um you know like i've never heard anyone like you know look at fallout and say like oh that's so Leibowitzian or anything oh interesting I mean I think that as much as it is like a pillar of sci-fi I think that it is probably (laughs) you know crazy statement here not alone in being a uh, a post-apocalyptic like post-nuclear mega war uh, story I think there are a lot of those and they take a lot of forms right like we've read a lot of books that take place after a nuclear holocaust but that's not really the point of them you know what i mean like that's just the setup Mm -hmm. for the universe whereas this one it's it's very much the point yes i would argue yeah i think you're right the other ones this is the stage upon which the story is set yeah much like you know a lot of sci-fi is yeah and then But the, the, one of the major themes of this book is the nature of man. Oh, God, I know. And it's <laughs> not generous. Nope. 
mean, okay. <laughs> so first of all, I think that first of all, I love this book. Actually, that's first. I, I, often with older sci-fi, I have a hard time like staying focused on it because it's not like super character driven and. I mean, this book kind of wasn't like it, it took place in three novellas and it didn't have really any like consistent characters except maybe like the wanderer. Um, but that was basically it. Yeah, but that was pretty much it. And he, you never really learn that much. So you can't really get super attached to him. Um, in my opinion, but I, I don't know. There's something about this book. It, it was both like super thought provoking. It also gave me this feeling of like, Mm, I'm reading literature <laughs> and enjoying it. I am culture. Do you know what I mean? Like the first time you read an assigned book in high school and you're like, I actually like this. I'm so sophisticated. <laughs> that's yes. I don't know if that's an experience you've had, but it, I did. I remember it was a tale of two cities. <laughs> that was the book that did it for me. Um, the end. But no, I, I thought this book was really good. And you know, I think that, yes, the events of the story are extremely bleak. Like, first of all, the catastrophe that comes before is like very worst case scenario um, of what nuclear war in the 60s or the 50s or 60s would have looked like. In so many ways, right? It's yes. Not just. You know, nuclear holocaust and destruction of the environment and just, like, complete obliteration of any sort of standing polit political strength. Mm-hmm. Like, the, obviously, the United States is destroyed as we know it. I mean, within then, 600 years, there's different languages. Languages changed. Yeah, yeah, the... What's that called? Epiglottic shift? Ah, I, well, damn, okay. I guess so. I guess I'll take your word for it, Mr. Linguist. Uh... I wish I had got my quiet keyboard out. <laughs> no, I like the typing sounds. <laughs> I'll look into this. Um, but it definitely indicates an extremely fractured society. Yeah, and it's definitely... Society is even a stretch. Right, they even make a point of saying that the... Um, I really thought that's what that was called. <laughs> no? <laughs> I, can't, I can't find anything backing me up. <laughs> anyway uh, carry on so the the like the all nations are destroyed and so not only is the society fractured and has to deal with that and you know you're right it's a several different separate societies but it also results in like the casting away of anything that resembles education uh yeah, not just the casting away, not like it got dropped, like it was rejected. Yeah, the the idea... Uh, I mean, I've thought about nuclear war. I'm, sure. I played Fallout. I played video <laughs> yeah, games... Yeah, I played Fallout. <laughs> ...that have, like, you know, nuclear war in them. I've read books that are based in a post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland. Like, this is not something that I'm unfamiliar with. But the willing and intentional destruction of learning and education not just like things are insane and so it gets cast by the wayside for a few centuries and then you know there's someone trying to put together the pieces it is actively destroyed and saw rooted out like men of learning are rooted out and killed 
mm. is so different from anything I've conceptualized of before. So this is interesting, Peter, because this is one of the things about the book that rang the most true to me. Oh, yeah. that It was definitely one of those things where I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, fuck, he's right. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Well, because you see it. Like, right now, not in the, you know, not in the, hey, you, like, intellectuals with your mind games ruined our lives and the entire earth. It's like, but it's, it's not to that extent. It's not mobs, like lynch mobs. However, there is a lot, a lot, a lot of distrust of scientific and even governmental establishment. And that's how we ended up with somebody like Donald Trump as president. That's how we ended up with, like, fucking climate change deniers in power. And all that sort of nonsense. It's, like, it's totally the same thing where they're like, hey, fuck you with your, like, green energy climate change thing. Like, I work in a coal mine. My father worked in a coal mine. I want to keep working in a coal mine. Like, this is my livelihood. You can't take it from me. Like, that type of thing where it's, like, I'm proud of where I am in this society. And, like, the, the being proud of where you are in this society, I have nothing against, you know? Like, I'm, you know, all for your heritage and everything, but the casting of scientific, like, consensus as intellectual elitism and just sort of getting us into a dangerous situation, that is something that it happened in this book and happens in real life every day. And I don't know if they saw any of that in the 60s or, or in the 50s or if this was just completely prescient. But I thought it was very, it, it felt very true. Absolutely. And kind of, we keep talking about when this book was, when these stories were told. But it is important to point out the time frame in which they were released. Early, honestly, I feel. Well, early, sure, but definitely Cold War. Yeah, for sure. I mean, late, yeah, late enough to be in the Cold War, but, like, it, I mean, the book book was published in 59, so it had to have been short stories throughout the 50s, right? Right, so it was, okay, the atom bomb was dropped, and then, you know, I, then Miller must have come through and be like, well, okay, what could that mean? Right. And it's bone-chilling how much how over you know the half a century has passed and as far as we can tell that's pretty close to what we'd expect yeah right like i mean i think i don't think it would be as dramatic i think that things would survive especially you know knowing all the hoarders of technology or data that exist right well it's true it's a lot easier to hoard that now yes a lot of things would survive there's a whole online community call themselves data hoarders and have, like, reams of information in offline backups. And like, I wonder if that movie was inspired in part by this. What's that? Data hoarding. Oh, I, this, I, that's, I mean, that is the literal definition of what the Albertian Order of Leibowitz did. Yeah. Uh, oh, you mean the movement? I think it's in the movie. Oh, no, 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 the movement. Okay. Anyway, I mean, part it's part that it's part they don't want things lost. Like uh, there's a whole there's a whole group that's doing backups of Flash games in browsers because they're all about to go away. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, yeah, Flash is discontinued as of 2020, December 2020. Oh, that's really sad. Anyway, 
Thanks, data hoarders. So, so there's a lot of things like this going on, and you're right. They're the modern Lieb, um, Leibowitzian order. I mean, I we've talked a little bit about this in the past. I don't think on the podcast though. Uh, haven't you said that like to some extent they just have basically bots running to like pool data and it doesn't really matter if they know what the data is or not they're just like collecting 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 some people right yes there are people like that which is exactly exactly what they're doing in this book they have no understanding of it and like yeah they sort of like maybe theorize about it and like kind of try to understand it but that's not their objective their objective is just to preserve it right and that's not the rule like there are monks like Kornhauer who are trying to understand what's going on Right. But Do most of them are probably like Francis or Arcos, who are just there to fulfill the role that was set for, that they see as their vocation. Right. And it is interesting in a monastic setting because there's so much emphasis put on obedience and conformity and like, hey, just you know, don't like, don't be ambitious. Like, just sort of keep your head down, do your duty, follow you know God's calling and. It, it would be, I guess, probably harder to become a visionary in that context. So that's why we didn't see a visionary until, like, 1,200 years in. And that's not to say that there weren't any before him, but the way the book goes, you know, he was the first character that we saw that had that vision. Right. I, yeah, that, you are pretty dead on, actually, about that, that this is, like, exactly what data hoarding is. <laughs> you're still thinking about it <laughs> yeah i am but no that was a uh, very good point about the monastic effects of individualism <laughs> well the erasure of individualism kind of right i mean it's interesting because i feel like a lot of great science like mo- most of science is a large group effort by a group of talented individuals who are all working together, maybe like in different aspects of a common goal. Yeah, right. Like that's definitely. what the Manhattan Project was. Oh, absolutely. But like, very rarely is it in a just an intelligent and incredibly gifted individual that is like is the sole discoverer of something. Yeah, and I mean, you could argue it never is because you're always building on previous work. Well, yeah, you stand on the shoulders of giants. Right. You and, know, like, Einstein whether you think that you're a soul genius or not, like, you you are still coming into the world at a certain level of advancement. And if it had not been at that level of advancement, you would not have been able to achieve what you achieved. So, right. really, science never happens in a vacuum. You're right. And uh, I kind of... I want to talk about something else before I guess we move on to the... What I the second uh, story mm. is well I guess we'll jump there and come back anyway um, <laughs> you see that realization of what science is in the form of uh, Thontadio yes of him kind of realizing and the abbot was po- talking about you know, in his internal dialogue was of him realizing oh I'm I'm just, like, I'm nothing new, essentially. Yeah, that was a really interesting point. Where he because thought this he was... Dude, yeah. this dude stank of something to prove. Oh, yeah. I mean, his whole backstory. Yeah. Like, he he was just that, like, hungry, super prideful, like, go get him scientist, who, yes, was a visionary, 
But <laughs> that realization, and to his credit, I think he took it with pretty pretty significant grace. But like the realization that oh, all I all I will ever achieve, it has already been achieved because of the way that history has gone. Yes, and you know the the like how could he ever think he was anything but a rediscoverer? Yeah, haven't you been paying attention, Thon? Like, you're supposed to be this genius, and you have, like, this complete lack of self-awareness. Right. About the fact that, yeah, that is that is the most you can hope for. And you know what? That's not such a bad thing. No. It's, if the knowledge is lost, regaining it is something notable. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I can't... You still had to redo it. Like, you still you still did the work. Right, it wasn't like there was something, like, I had an optics textbook here with complete work, <laughs> and it was like, here, oh, yeah, everything is already named, too. It is a little bit like there was an abridged optics textbook in a monastery in Utah, though. Okay, yeah, a very abridged, though. <laughs> but he didn't know, to, to be fair, he still figured most of it out. And then he went and got the very abridged textbook and was like, yeah, I'm right, but it also sucks because this book was here. <laughs> this is because here, and it's been here for twelve hundred years. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. So you know, I'm sure that's very frustrating. Yes. Anyway, I wanted to uh, bounce back. Let's yes. get something else to say about Thontadio. Uh, no, I'm sure we'll have more to say about Thontadio at some point, but I don't mind bouncing Probably. around. Other than his name, fun to say. Very fun to say, Thontadio. Thontadio. <laughs> Thontadio, Fardentrot. <laughs> Trot's a good name. <laughs> anyway. Alright. Um, so, the very... I. It sounds so funny. <laughs> I'm just glad it's like P-H-A-R-T-A. Fontadio is kind of a suave name, like, and he's kind of a suave Fantadio. guy. Farm Trot. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> don't mind me. Go on. <laughs> so, I... This is not nothing, you know, overly insightful. Because this is not a, I don't think, an uncommon uh, knowledge. But I thought it was an interesting parallel. The the way he wrote the book and choosing mm-hmm. to use this monastery of you know, knowledge hoarders as his mechanism to convey the destructive nature of mankind. <laughs> I thought it was cool that he chose that because of, obviously, the effect that the Catholic Church played in the in the dark ages you mean with the like eliminated texts and everything no i mean the fact that like the the renaissance basically picked up right where the i don't i think i don't know remember the name but right before the dark ages is called Uh, Uh, roman empire i thought basically yeah but (laughs) that's fair so but the the you know, the Renaissance basically picked right up from that as far as, like, learning and education is concerned because of the the collection of written texts that the church maintained in, like, monasteries and shit. And not intentionally, but, like, it is a, a thing, for lack of a better word, that <laughs> while I'm... There are many arguments, some of them very valid... That the church contributed to the existence of the Dark Ages as a whole. Yeah. They also were a major part in making sure that the Dark Ages weren't a... Eternal. Well, not just eternal, but, like, they weren't a fallback. Like, they were a stagnation of knowledge, and there was... 
you know, fall, there were regions where everything fell backwards, but like mostly human society in Europe mm-hmm. uh, stayed paused at that point. Even it was preservation without po- progress. Right. And that is That's very much what the monks of Leibowitz did. Yeah. I mean, well, that's what, um, I'm sorry, finish your point. Well, yeah, I mean, like we said, there's obviously exceptions like Kornhauer and later the, in the final book when, uh, they are very proactive in their preservation, but like, again, (laughs) they're, they're preserving. They're not trying to, um, they're not trying to learn from the knowledge. Yeah. It's sort of thought to be, I guess, beyond them. Like, they're holding it for a time when it can be used well. But that is another one of the really interesting conversations between Thontadio and the abbot, where um, the Thon says, if you withhold wisdom from mankind until he is wise, then he'll never get it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you can't wait until humanity shows a certain level of advancement before you can give them the knowledge that you're hoarding, because you have all the knowledge, like, they can't reach that level of advancement without you. Yeah. And it's an interesting conversation he has with, what was his name? Apollo? Yeah, Marcus Apollo. Marcus Apollo, that was it. I couldn't remember Poor that. Marcus Apollo died a bad death. Yeah, it's, uh, it was really casual. It was like, and the I know! Marcus Apollo was cut to pieces. And flayed alive. Yeah. Like, God. Disemboweled alive also, I think. He was like straight up old-timey, drawn and quartered. It was bad. Yeah, not great. Poor Marcus Apollo. Yeah. So, uh... Anyway, read Marcus Apollo. Anyway, I... He pointed out in his conversation with Fontadio that, um... When they were talking about... He was like, basically, hey, maybe the Great Deluge, or the Flame Deluge happened because mankind had so much material knowledge but no spiritual knowledge. Mm. And I yeah, thought that was, was a great point. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe totally. not so much the spiritual, but like the yes, the wisdom to know and to exercise this immense power you found. Well, I think in this book the word wisdom is used in a lot of different ways. Like it is used to reference knowledge, right? Which I would argue is not at all the same as wisdom, and I think that probably Miller agrees with me on that. Yeah, I played D&D. There's intelligence and there's wisdom. Yeah, those are different traits. One is used for clerical spells. <laughs> Once again, we turn to D&D for clarity in, in ethical In these troubled times. <laughs> in these troubled times. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so, so they're obviously very different things. And I think that that's sort of the church versus science argument that's happening. Like, I think the church wants a certain degree of like like wisdom wisdom you know like i guess you, you call it like spiritual wisdom but not even necessarily like in a like a religious context but just I mean, being yeah, wise like being mature kind of um doing things for like the greater good of humanity and not and not being like based and primitive and self-serving um versus i think the scientists seem to treat wisdom as like knowledge Yes. It, that, is, that is the the gist I'm getting from those conversations. Yeah, I think you're dead on. And it was certainly... Uh, I, th- I think it was very... They were relatively... I mean, I guess the... 
I guess Fiat Lux was basically all that. The, that the conversation. Dialogue. Yeah, like the the dialogue of of wisdom versus knowledge. Right. And it's a very clear stepping stone to the final ch- chapter, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. And it sucks, man. It, it sucks. sucks so bad. Fantadio, you were wrong. <laughs> and like this, this is the great irony of the book. That the whole mission of this order was to preserve knowledge so that mankind could like rise again. And we rose to the same damn thing. We got a little bit farther, but in the end, the result was the same. And like, God bless them, they're still trying. <laughs> but that little bit farther was everything. It, I mean, it made the destruction seemingly a lot more decisive, if that's what you mean. Well, I mean, as far as we know, the nuclear weapons were comparable to the first ones. But I don't know. They were, like, assembling them in space and shit. Like, maybe they were comparable, but the delivery was different. I'm not sure. I don't know. But the, the fact of the matter is... Not, they didn't just get weapons farther. They got everything else a little bit farther, too, including interstellar travel. That's so like, true. That little leap, because I can't imagine that there wouldn't be another... There wouldn't be an equivalent... Like, if we had interstellar travel tomorrow, <laughs> there is not a chance that someone would launch the first ship to space to establish an extrasolar colony. Like, zero chance this wouldn't happen. Yeah. And I mean, well, okay, but there, that would also... There would be a complicating factors. But you're right, we would try to do that. Yes. I think Terraforming that, or, or finding well, go, a habitable planet I think going aside. and finding one, assuming that the travel was relatively not easy, but, you know, do economic at least. <laughs> yeah, it could be done. Right. So I think it's extremely likely that someone would launch. Realistically, yeah. it would probably be like the U.S. or China. Or the U.S. and Canada and England or something. Right, like a coalition. Yeah, some... Coalition would make a lot of sense. Yeah, I think think as far as interstellar travel as a whole, coalitions make the most sense. Yeah, I think so. But the problem is then you're establishing, like, the NATO colony. And that's not great for future relations. I mean, depends who you ask. (laughs) Right. One of the funny things I thought they mentioned in this book was that everyone launched colonies that weren't quite big enough... And so, because, like, they were like, well, the Asians can't be there first. The white people gotta be there, too. <laughs> and then they were talking about how, like, well, they guaranteed that unless they all want to die, they're going to interbreed and their races will cease to exist. Did you find it wildly improbable that there would still be races as we know them, though? Oh, yeah. I mean, no. <laughs> no? Because I'm kind of like, yeah, you would be interbred. I mean, I guess, I guess there's so much friggin' mutation going around anyway. No one would notice if you were inbred or not, but, like... <laughs> You'd think you'd have to interbreed I mean, before the 1700, 1800 years had passed. Sure, but like, well, you know, there's an equally like equal likelihood. I well, I don't think you know white would continue to exist as it does. Like, there's not going to be a bunch of people walking around that are still very pale. But like, the nationalities that make up the U.S. predominantly will continue to dominate. And the nationalities that make up Asia primarily will continue to dominate. Like the 
the blend that happened in the U.S., because you're right, there wouldn't be that many people left, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so they'd have to do it to some extent, although travel becomes an issue, too. Well, the U.S. is also probably different from other places, because I think that, and I could be wrong about this, but my impression is that Europe is a lot wider than America, and that Asia is, like, not nearly, like, it doesn't have... Like, the ratio of Asian people to minorities in Asia versus the relationship of white people to minorities in America is probably, like, there's probably way more Asian people proportionately. Does that make sense? Yeah, they have to discriminate against other Asian people as opposed to other <laughs> Yeah, they have to be racist against people who just have other religions who look the same, I think. No, CC, they're other Asian people. No. <laughs> no You're I killing know. me. I'm talking about Uyghurs, though. You're talking about what? Uh, Muslim Chinese people. Oh, well, what'd you call them? Uyghurs. Oh. Huh. I, I have no idea how to spell it. Well, <laughs> I can't Google pretty, it now. But I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. And I don't want to be on a watch list when I Google how, like, <laughs> how, what, what are Muslim Chinese people called? <laughs> I don't know why that would put you on a watch list. Because it's two people. That's two groups that people are very racist against. I don't know, dude. I guess that's true. I'm going for my test Listen, if I, tomorrow. If I'm gonna be racist, I want to get bang for my buck. <laughs> I need to combine them. Listen, all I know is terrorists and coronavirus. So I'm just gonna. God. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Yeah, pretty much. Anyway. I guess I'm not a good person. So the, God, we were talking about, we were talking about, um, <laughs> totally derailed you. <laughs> we were talking about uh, ethnic groupings. Wait, yes. And how Where I they were like, haha, stupid racists have to interbreed. <laughs> yeah, that was just such like, a fun little comment. I was like, ha, you're right. <laughs> no, no, it was like kind of a non sequitur, but you weren't, you weren't mad that it was there. <laughs> no, I was pretty thrilled by it, actually. <laughs> it was very good. Okay, um, so I thought that the church, as, like, throughout these books, its development was interesting. Okay, expand on that. It doesn't seem like it ever rose to the opulence of the Catholic Church in the modern day. I don't think the Catholic Church is, relatively speaking, any more opulent than it was 600 years ago. Well, yeah, it hasn't been growing its wealth. But let's be clear, it was... We don't have... It doesn't have, like, lands anymore, like, papal states. Papal states don't exist anymore. I mean, you're right. It's dominate. It's like a ten-block dot. Don't don't get me wrong. They're doing fine. (laughs) Right. I mean, the the immense wealth of the Catholic Church is still a thing. Yes, absolutely. But this... The church of this day doesn't seem like it had... I mean, especially not in Francis' story. Like... Francis had this moment of clarity while he was in the the New Vatican or whatever they're calling it, and he was like, uh, "Oh, yeah, this is not very like this is poor as shit." <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's like, "Yeah, the Pope's clothes were threadbare." Yeah, but it was interesting the the term um, or the phrasing that that the dignity sort of superseded like over. Um, Overdrew the uh, the poorness, the poverty. I mean, I think in I a, botched that, but in you know a de- what I, mean. I know what you mean. I think Francis said it world, better. 
uh, in a desperate world, the just the clear ceremony of it and the clear um, tradition held by it was probably yeah. a lot, like, very overbearing for someone who, you know, lived in a desert, came from the Utah country, like where the wild people are from. Right. By all accounts, is an idiot. <laughs> I love Francis. He was, he's, he's so just, dear to me. He was just doing his best, and everyone was. He was just doing his best, and he got eaten. It's just sad. It is very sad. Oh, that was like devastating. I was like, oh god. He died so suddenly. I know. I was so shocked. Yeah, he was like, I got this money. I'm gonna get my fucking. I get my illuminated manuscript back. My, my illuminate, sorry, illuminated blueprint. Let's be clear. <laughs> yeah, let's not let's not call it a manuscript, okay? No, you're right. My illuminated blueprint. Let's get that back and let's go uh, show my merry way and go hang out back at the with my all my my bros. I think I just loved him because he was so content. Yeah, he was just like, "This is my life," and he kind of accepted it, and it was wonderful. Oh my god, there is one quote though, and this is this is why I ended up buying the book because I was like, "There's so many quotes in this." Is this what you wanted to highlight? Uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to highlight. Um, and I don't have it highlighted, but it was something that about how like in a vast sea of time. Like, even one life, even to the person who's living it, feels like just this brief eddy. And, like, that that just, like, mm, took my breath away. Oh, it was such a good line. It was very melancholy, but, like, it was also not said in a way that felt sad. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was a sad statement said in a very contented way. Yeah, it's like, this is my life. It will go by quickly, but it will be, you know, my life. Yeah, like, he's not in a rush because, you know, like, it's not, it's not significant. Like, he knows his life, his lifetime won't be significant. So if it takes him 40 years to illuminate this blueprint, that's fine. Because he's still doing this thing that he loves and it's his life's work. And that's enough life's work for him. Yeah. I I thought, I found him a very admirable character. He is. And he, he is, um... He's very sympathetic, too. Oh, he's extremely sympathetic. When he got bullied. <laughs> oh, yeah. For doing his illuminated blueprint. I think I would get bullied for doing an illuminated blueprint. <laughs> You're an engineer. There's no way they'd bully you for illuminating a blueprint. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, wow, you can do art, too. Amazing. Is that drawing? Is <laughs> it? I... But you'd be doing it with, like, solder. (laughs) Oh my god. No, it's paper, Cece. What the fuck? It would totally catch on fire right now. Uh, I really appreciate... It's actually sheepskin, but it's fine. Go on. It'd probably still catch on fire. Maybe. Solder's very hot. Scorch for sure. Um, But that could be a a good look. You cannot let this go. Try it, but outside. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... You wanted to say something relevant, I think. Yeah. I also think that, again, the very casual but kind of significant comment in this is about the church's schism. Oh, yeah. Well, it makes a lot of sense. Of course there would be schisms. Yeah. The very existence of a Vatican in North America means schism. Well, they even talked about, like, in the early days of the new church, there were schisms. And we killed the old pope or something. The, the <laughs> we put an end to that. They already had an anti-pope. It was less than 600 years. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, of course there was an anti-pope. There were probably, like, eight bishops 
who survived and were like, well, I guess I'm the Pope now. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I, I think about a lot throughout this book about the legitimacy of the Catholic Church moving forward. This is a very not relevant thing to probably a lot of our listeners. Hmm. But, like, the whole idea of the Catholic Church and the Holy See is that it is a direct lineage of power, of, of authority, from St. Peter. Right. And it was weird enough when we had, you know, our schism where, like, the real world schism where there were three popes. Right. Like, who fucking knows if, if the right one lived or whatever? That's true. Um, That's an interesting thought. I think, I thought about that a lot, like, as a kid learning about it. I think you would. I was like, I do You as a kid, right that's very on brand. Is the Catholic Church even real? <laughs> <laughs> you can see you say that to Mama, who's just pulling her hair out. <laughs> so I teach you about the history of Catholicism, and you're just like, mm, sounds like nobody can even be sure if this is real anymore. So <laughs> I'm going to stay home this Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, anyway. But yeah, so you're right. There's probably a lot. There's probably popes across the sea because they said there was contact, but very little with across the, the across the sea. At what point did they say that? During Francesco's uh, Francis's Dur- life. Really? Okay. They were talking when they were talking about communication. They were like, "Well, what communication there is is only through the church, because the pope has to know what's going on among all of his you know people." So maybe power did consolidate. I mean, because because by the end, you know, obviously any any pope claims would have had to be satisfied and it seems like the vatican's still in the same place in north america so yeah and it seems like the um you know the well advanced like the 1800 years later it's still there's one vatican there's not no mention of like a competing pope or anything so i imagine at some point i'm sure while you're right i'm sure there was i'm sure there's even a cardinal that lived and was like, well, I guess I'm Pope now. And he's like, well, the Pope has to be elected by Cardinal. I <laughs> so vote me. I elect me. Do you see any other Cardinals? <laughs> Pretty much. Exactly. So, yeah. I don't know. Obviously, this like the, the church wasn't... Like, the church was not the significant part of this book. But I am curious. That is really interesting. Also, something I thought of while I was, like, coming home from work today that I, I find interesting is that um, this book was written before Vatican II. Like, oh. like six or more years before Vatican II. Interesting. So I think I was wondering about... There was that one part, and like I, I have no idea if this is a thing, and I, I doubt you know, but if you do, let me know, where um, uh, the final abbot, Zerchi, was taking... Mrs. Grail's confession, and he was like, if you're trying to confess to abortion, like, I can't absolve that. The bishop has to. And I'm like, is that a thing? Maybe that was a thing before Vatican II? That's what made me think about it. I absolutely believe that that was a thing, or at least, like... I don't think that's a thing anymore. That def- can't be oh, thing, I definitely so. can't believe it's a thing anymore. But I definitely believe that it was a thing, if not in, like, actual catechism, in, like, the priest would do it, essentially. Yeah. Probably. Well, there was a lot of talk about, like, what certain priests could and couldn't do. Like, well, that has to be done by your parish priest, like, blah, 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 blah. And, like, 
I don't I don't know that that was a Vatican II versus not Vatican II thing, but it feels like it to me. A old church and that also new church, huh? Like an old day old school church versus the new church. Yeah, basically. I mean, I know most people don't think of the Catholic Church as being particularly modern, and for good reason. But oh man, you, you should have seen it ago. before Vatican II. <laughs> 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 which would also explain like so much emphasis on on latin um like all the monks speak latin and everything although that could also just be because of the same reason latin was the language of literate people for centuries and centuries which is that everyone they needed play. a common language and yeah. latin was one that it could be and if all communication goes through the church then latin is sort of a common language among the church that's so. true although they talked about it later uh again abbot Zerchi talked about how like, well, who knows who's Latin? Like, you know, oh, is it this Latin or is it this Latin, etc. <laughs> so, like, even Latin, which is even like two thousand years later, or you know, eighteen hundred, whatever, thousands of years later, uh, the there are two types of Latin. It is church and it is traditional. Right, and that's really more a matter of pronunciation. I thought. Yes, the written text is basically the same. That's what I thought, yeah. So, like... Yeah, because also the spoken shift of languages is really the lion's share of it. Except in the case of Old English, which changed in spelling, but not so much in pronunciation. Well, it's diff changed, but, like... Once you hear... Like, reading Old English... It's easier to understand it spoken than read. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway. um, Okay. Let's think. What else? I wonder if they had another, like, had the equivalent of the Vatican too, eventually. I mean, they probably would have had to eventually. Right? Like. I don't know. I mean, I know that Miller was a Catholic, so I think that he's painting the church in a fairly favorable light here. Yes. Um, and. I mean, really, there aren't any very unflattering pictures of the church in this. Yes. I, I don't think, I think as the whole, you're right. I think there are very unflattering people that are members of the church. Eh. Like Abbot Arcos. Like the brother Oh, who... Arcos was just a, like an old grump. <laughs> I don't think that he like shamed the church, unless I'm forgetting something. I think his, his self... I mean, he punished Brother Francis for just saying what he saw. Yeah, yeah he was pretty shit to Francis. Yeah, so he, was, he wasn't a good guy. Like, he was... Maybe I guess that's true. Whole. He did not have compassion. Yes. And so I think that Miller does... He had no faith in Francis at in, all. At least in the first two stories. Miller makes a point of including at least one non-favorable uh, member of the church. Yeah. I mean, Zerchi also does some shit with the, um, with the woman, the sick woman, uh, that is pretty morally gray you mean he commands her <laughs> to put it generously yeah when he commands her um yeah it, i mean i just i think more than anything i just really didn't like his extremely paternalistic tone he's like girl and i'm like bitch she's she's a mother <laughs> like and was a wife like she's an adult <laughs> that's fair. stop like calling her girl <laughs> no i'm with you on that i do appreciate that hit that wasn't no, the girl was. But, like, the commanding wasn't his go-to. Like, he really... Yeah, he was like, wow, I've never done that before. Him. That was super weird. Right. 
so I don't. And I think that he was he was not like on a power trip. Like he he genuinely was trying to like save her soul and her baby's soul. I mean, although I don't think the baby was going to be punished, but um. But it it, it was just like it, it, that part of it was a little bit too much for me. Yes, that's fair. I mean, he wasn't great. That was an interesting. That was a very like challenging segment of the book for me. The mother and the child. Yeah. And the whole, or do you mean like the whole euthanasia? Well, the, oh, the whole euthanasia thing. It was so frustrating because euthanasia is a. <laughs> it's one of those topics that is so touchy. Oh my god! Yeah. It's like well, I mean, there is a point. Like you know, even let's look at it now with the argument versus or for like physician assisted suicide, which is essentially the right. same thing. Right. Just you know. Uh, a rose by a different name. <laughs> a rose, yes. Um, <laughs> it has thorns. Anyway. <laughs> so Go on. The idea of being able to trade, you know, life suffering for, well, maybe I just die. Right. And, like, it seems like, and on one hand, it seems like that's your prerogative as an intelligent, aware, living being. You right. should have the right to choose not to go through a lot of suffering for that. Right. But uh, I can also appreciate the idea that destroying life is evil. Yeah. It's, yeah, totally. It's very hard to justify destroying a life. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that... It, the the abbot took a very hard line sort of religious approach, um, but I didn't necessarily and like I didn't you know I'm surprised I am not as religious as the abbot, <laughs> as, as an abbot of a monastery is in a fictional um, book. Nor am I as prescriptive as Catholic as an, the abbot of a, <laughs> of a monastery. But I don't think I I don't know that I fundamentally disagreed with him. Um, and I think that there was there was definitely redemption, ironically, in in the ending for him. That he like was so focused on like I'm going to suffer at least as much as I asked her to suffer. Like I'm I don't want to die until I have suffered as much as I asked her to. Yeah, his... that was like that was very much like I mean he put his money where his mouth was. It wasn't really in his control, but like he he had the humility to be like, well, you know, like. He says Jesus didn't ask anyone to do a damn thing he wouldn't do. And so therefore, like, he had to do the same. And, I mean, that really, again, it's, like, the best side of religion where you're truly just trying to emulate Christ. Like, yeah, you might ask a lot of people, but honestly, so did Jesus. Yeah. So if all Jesus you're doing, asked a lot of people. <laughs> if all you're doing is trying to emulate Christ, then, um, here you are. Right. So it, right. it's hard to... I mean, you're right about the it showing the best portrayal of religion. And yeah. while I don't think the average religious person would be like that, I do think that, you know, they certainly exist. Yeah. I think so, too. I definitely think so. Um, the... Yeah. I, I thought that, that was a That very, was just a challenging section. I mean, it was hard. And I thought he was... I believe uh, Abedzer, she talked about it. Or at least thought about it. When he was talking about how the... It was so aggravating to him that 
the world had finally come back from nuclear devastation. Mm-hmm. And had all these international treaties. Oh, yes, that's not, you know, um, let's not make the mistakes of the past, no nuclear weapons, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, they had nuclear-powered ships, like, that were going, you know, nuclear was very present. Right. And they let themselves fall back into it. But he was looking at it, he's like, you know, laws like the you know, nuclear damage prevention laws or whatever they called them. You know, these institutions put in place to protect or to mitigate the effects of nuclear damage are just the governments going, we're going to make the mistake again, but we're going to give ourselves <laughs> a backup. Yeah. It's not we're, we're We're going to have a safety net because we know what the effects of nuclear war are. Yeah, like how... We're going to claw our way back from it. How could you do this again? I don't know. Who the, who the frick developed the weapons to start with? Yeah, who was not like, hey, again? Are you like, sure? <laughs> like, you have, to, you have to imagine that at some point, like, scientists studying the memorabilia or just, you know following logically from the memorabilia we're like huh i think i know how we got to where we got (laughs) and let's not do that again like like casually pulls out his zippo and burns it (laughs) yeah for serious that would have been the best way to handle that because it's not it's like okay you look at world war ii and like einstein was so against the actual usage of the weapon. Mm-hmm. Like, it, he didn't want it. He, oh, yeah. But he, he also... spoke very eloquently against it. Right, and there's these educated people that are like, no, this is a bad idea. Here are these effects on the world that we think will happen. And yet, we want to turn into it. This time, the scientists can think on their own. They go like, all right, well, they didn't listen last time. Right. They'll listen this time, for sure. Like, educated, learned people, and they develop them again. So, so one thing I found frustrating about this book was that there was so little context given um, when you would, like, switch segments. But I eventually realized, I was like, I don't think it matters how we got back to where we got. No. I, I think the point is that we were always going to end up there again. And that sucks. But... I, I think that was the point, honestly. I mean, yeah, I think the idea is that man doesn't change. Right. And we are very self-destructive when we let certain things run free. I'm really good at finding reasons to destroy. I mean, right. Like, I... I Despite how I talk about in this, like, about this book... You know, I don't, for example, think that using the U.S. using nuclear weapons in World War II was the wrong thing to do. Right. Like, I feel pretty strongly about that. But the, that it was not the wrong thing to do. Right. Like, I th- I think that in less you know roundabout, it was the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Own it, Peter. Own it. <laughs> right. Like, it's not like they were like, "Hey, fuck you, Japan, nuke," like. It well, they were they did the math. Warning, warnings were given. They did they did the math. Warnings were given. They tried to not do it, right? But in the end, they had to do it. So, 
you know. Yeah, I don't think there. I don't think there was pleasure taken in the decision. Right, but I worry that. And mercifully, Japan could not retaliate. Yes. Right. The only usage of weapon, the nuclear weapons, should remain the one time the enemy couldn't retaliate. <laughs> Which is like the opposite of every right, other. I feel ethical. so bad. Like I don't want to see one guy. Like even let's narrow it down to like one guy with rock or one guy without rock. Like I don't want to <laughs> see the guy with the rock beat up the one without the rock. But if the one, and I don't think it's universally applicable though. Right. But like. But in this case... <laughs> I guess it depends on ideologies, or what side you're on. Like, right. we're Americans, and so obviously we're like, yeah, I'm glad America didn't get nuked and lose World War II. Right. But... I, and, I, you know, I wonder how, like, an affluent Japanese person today would feel about it. Because... An affluent one? Japan? Yeah, no, like, somebody who's doing well. Probably okay about it. Yeah, like, probably not great, but not, like, terrible either, right? I mean, like, I, I obviously I hesitate to put myself in their place, and, like, if, you know, listeners, you have any thoughts about this, please share, but I don't know, like, Japan has been doing really well <laughs> since, like, I don't know what, like, the 50s they started bouncing back? Yeah, I mean, it was the end of... And we did stay to clean up our mess. Well, so, the one thing I will, that I kind of learned about more recently is... We also How much money that. the U.S. put into Japan after World War II was over? Like, oh, it's like we learned our lesson from World War One. Yeah, and it's like we forgot our lesson in the Middle East. <laughs> oh no, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> like, the fact of the matter is, we didn't go. To be in fair, there. we put a lot of money into sticking around in the Middle East. We just didn't do it right. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't to like put up electrical power or anything. It was <laughs> right not to provide that. medical care. Yeah. So, our conduct after World War II was much, much better, which unfortunately makes Japan the exception. Like our, Do you mean in terms of enemies? Well, yeah, U.S. relationship with, with Japan, like U.S. actions in Japan, or even ag- uh, agitator, uh, actions in Japan, aggressor, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it is, it, I mean, I do, I've always found it kind of miraculous that we have such a good relationship with them. Yeah, like, Japan is our staunchest ally in Asia. Yeah. Like, not a doubt. Yeah, who knew? Yeah, like... And South Korea is pretty staunch. South Korea is pretty staunch. Staunch? Staunch. <laughs> staunch. They're staunch. They're staunch down there. They're staunch. Oh, my God. <laughs> Please stop. But anyway. (laughs) Cece, stop. Oh no, Cece, what are you doing? (laughs) Get out of control. Anyway, Cece, put down that dumb word. (laughs) You're gonna be a mother. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Anyway. uh, So, I don't remember how we got to this point. Anyway, the point is... It, looking back well, on... Well, we're talking it, about how, like, you only want to use a nuclear weapon if it's a one-sided fight. Yeah. And looking back on it, that was the best way for that to go. But if Japan Yeah, it pretty much had, went ideally. Yeah, like, it went... Like, we did it one. The the wor- the only real long-lasting negative... Obviously, there's <gasps> the people that died. But, like, yes. the looking back on it from, you know, 2020 negative is that we had to drop two. Yeah. But, like... We shouldn't have had to do it again. Right. But that's Japan's fault. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they asked for it. No. Uh, 
gonna sound like I'm being a curmudgeon, but it's kind of true. I mean, yeah, they didn't surrender. <laughs> yeah, like we we made the decision, but we're also like we're gonna do that again. Japan's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I I think historically speaking, let's we should stop doing this. This is a sci-fi podcast, but I think historically speaking, um, Japan actually didn't think we had the materials to make a second bomb. I can see where that calculus would come from. Yeah, no, I can totally. Like, the expense was miraculous. <laughs> we like, should have sent them our receipts. <laughs> like, there's no way they have enough for another like, one. No, we seriously, we have another one. We have another one. We're not one. playing. It's called Little Boy. <laughs> Alright, now you're fucking with us. <laughs> was Little Boy the second one? I don't remember. It was Fat Man and Little Boy, right? Yeah. I don't remember which one was dropped first. But also, let's be clear, equally ridiculous... <laughs> okay, fine. Very silly names. We don't believe have another one. Okay, the next one's called Fat Man. Bullshit. <laughs> nah, you're just messing with us. Is this a sumo joke? God damn it. <laughs> you Americans are the worst. <laughs> Fuck you, we'll never surrender. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> God. Oh man, this is a terrible thing to be laughing at. <laughs> Oh, God. It makes me laugh harder. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, uh, one thing I think we can't not talk about is Mrs. Grails slash Rachel. Oh, okay. I, on- I only sighed because I thought you were going to say something else that I feel like we can't not talk about. Fuck. <laughs> you were really hoping <laughs> it would be the same thing. Come on. I was like, okay, cool. One last thing. Damn it. <laughs> Go. Go talk about Mrs. Grails and Rachel. It was such a heavily... I don't know. It went hard in the spiritual allegory yeah, direction. Yeah, really hard. Yeah. Like, Avazerchi was having this, like, let's be, let's call it it, fever imagination of, like... Like, sure, this, I believe this might have happened. Um, Like, there were some pretty wild stories about people with heads on their shoulders or whatever. Sure. Like, there was a, um... There's, like, one story from the Middle Ages of, like, a prince that killed himself because... I think it was a Hamburg. That uh. he had, like, a small head and the back of his head, like, you know, Voldemort style. And he swore <laughs> down that it whispered to him at night. Oh my god! Like, horrible things. That's messed up! And he up. went mad in it because no one believed in him and killed himself. Yeah, Hamburgs are super inbred, I'm pretty sure. Oh, like, 100% inbred. They're just all inbred. <laughs> I learned that from 30 Rock. <laughs> that's the Haps- Habsburgs. Sorry, Habsburg. My bad. Yes, that's who we're thinking of. Um, Hamburg is a place. And a beef. Anyway. <laughs> so it was very weird. Like. Uh, yeah. But one. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, the idea of him, like, m- believing that this Rachel is born without original sin. Right, like, like the, a new immaculate conception. Yeah, like the the wildness of the 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 religious reality of there being two minds in the same body. Because he's like, oh, Siamese twins are easy. There's just two of them. But these yeah. are harder. Uh, that was that was an interesting 
I actually to your earlier question of whether or not there had to be a Vatican too. I feel like there had to be a Vatican there too had to because be some of sort stuff of like that. Yeah, some there had to be some sort of conference to figure out what to do. Like the Pope's children. Yeah, the Pope's children. Exactly. I mean, they were still they were still making decrees and stuff. Yeah, they probably it probably came out of something, not you know obviously not called Vatican two, but like some sort of you know liturgical cou- uh, council. Yeah. Trying to figure out, hey, uh, what are we gonna do about that? <laughs> So stuff's bad. Hey guys, a lot of new kinds of humanity happening. Yeah, I um, I thought it was very interesting the concept that Thontadio talked about. Okay, yes, this time we're going into what I thought you were going to say. The previous like civilization creating life, and that life yeah. being like mankind. Another, I would say, very briefly dropped piece of, like, theory, I guess. I I can't help but, like, fantasize about it being the reality. Right? In what sense? Do you mean, like, deliberately? Or do you mean that just humanity after the flame deluge was so genetically distinct from humanity before the flame deluge that we were a new species? I mean, the way Thontadio talked about it, it was, like, written that a new kind of life was created like before like on purpose yeah which is but what would have been the purpose of that i don't know to was that something we were working on in the 50s huh maybe to improve people i'm waiting on crispr yet so no one was talking about like easy genetic manipulation i guess this was not long after the golden age of eugenics though well that's true i don't know it is interesting, and I think that maybe they were trying to, or whatever the case may be, but, like, I had hoped that, because I had literally no experience with this book at all, I had hoped that that was going to mean that they were, like, you know, they created this new humanity free of the self-destructive nuclear nature that we were going to go kill ourselves. Oh, yeah, it was, like, somebody's contingency plan? Oh, no, no, like, it was, like... The result of, you know, humanity's actions before the flame deluge and that experience, that common experience around the world, moving forward, everyone was like, okay, we're going to be better. And I was just kind of hoping that that was going to be it. And it wasn't. Apparently not. (laughs) It wasn't it. Again, yeah, it was just like somebody's theory. Never really, uh... Yeah, someone like jotted it down like a lunchbox or something. And yeah, Miller does not seem to have been a fan of making things particularly clear. I mean, he was a mid-20th century sci-fi writer. So, yes. <laughs> this is about as clear as it got. Okay, so first of all, on that note, I do think that there is a point, and I'm like kind of flicking through right now trying to find it, where they talk about homo something. And I remember thinking in passing, I was like, is that a new species of humanity? Like, is that supposed to be different from homo sapiens? Or did they just lose the term Homo sapiens, or what? What happened? And I can't, I can't find out. I think I but, remember being them be like, "We'll ditch," like they ditched the sapien. I think it was during like the conversation about the Pope's children, essentially, like where does the humanity end? And kind of deciding that these mutants that weren't capable of like higher levels of reason were Homo, not Homo sapiens. Like, they were of our genus, but they were not. At, at what at what point in the book? Uh, Mid-Francis. 
Okay. I think it's about something that happened, like, towards the end. Oh. But... I don't know them. It, I mean, again, very impassing. Right. It's like... Which is what makes me sad that there's not a more extensive universe I, behind this. This is often our complaint. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, it's sort of like... Oh man, it, I mean, it's 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 just it's so fascinating, and there are so many questions that are opened up, and I mean, and never never close. Like, so this is what I thought you were going to talk about before, um, is the Wanderer. Oh yes, yes yes. Who maybe is Leibowitz? Maybe no, no, no. is not. No, he's not. Uh, maybe. He says, what makes you so sure? He says it. Yeah, but like, he could just be, it could be in the metaphorical, like, no, that's not me anymore, type of a way. I don't know. I would believe more that he, uh, I guess. Because he does still sign with, like, his apparent Hebrew initials right, in the beginning I kind with of Francis. took that to mean he, like, when the late, when the, I think the second story he talked about this in the, the Fiat Lux, he talked about him being like a a distant relative he hated being mistaken for his distant relative yeah and you're right that might be like crazy or allegorical and I don't know it could hold on alright this is getting weird but this is might be my new headcanon <laughs> okay carry on a new type of mankind was created okay one without death Oh. Well, that's an idea. It's mentioned like the the Fontadio and that comment about his dislike him talking about I'm thousands of years old is in the same story. Um, but he says he's like three thousand years old, like from the time of Christ. Uh, that is his claim. He does say that, doesn't he? Yeah. He also calls himself Lazarus, so originally I thought he was supposed to be, like, literally Lazarus. Oh, like, Like, Christ called Lazarus. him from death and never sent him back. Uh, huh. That's also theoretically... Because, he, he, you know, he, um... He talks, or Eleazar. Did he call himself Lazarus? He called himself Eleazar, which I know from Adventures in Odyssey. <laughs> it's the Hebrew form of Lazarus. I don't remember which one he called himself. I think he might have said Eleazar and Lazarus. They, I think they might have both happened, yeah. Which, I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe that's the story. Maybe he actually is Lazarus. Yeah, I mean, so on on the chance that anybody's not familiar with the story, basically Lazarus was a friend of Jesus's when Jesus was um, doing his, I guess, ministry on Earth. And he died. And... Uh, while Jesus was away, and Jesus came back, and Lazarus' sisters were very sad, and so Jesus went to the tomb and said, you know, Lazarus, come forth, and, like, called him back to life. Wakey-wakey. So, I mean, wakey-wakey. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's that's that was my sort of original theory. And then I read this thing on the internet about this book that it could all be in relation to this myth of the wandering Jew. Is this something you're familiar with? I think I've heard that statement. Or, like, heard references to the Wandering Jew, but never actually, like... I don't, I don't know, like, the origins. I don't think I had ever heard of it before. But the origin is that when Jesus was um, carrying his cross, 
that there was a Jewish man who taunted him. Um, like, in some way or another. Like, either kicked him or refused to let him sit or just, just did something mean to Jesus. And Jesus basically said, well, you know, you're, <laughs> he basically cursed him to eternal life. He's like, you're, you're not going to die until you see my second coming. Until, like, you see me come into my kingdom. And goes on his merry way. And so at some point in, like, the 12th century is the earliest written um, version of the story. But there was basically, like, a popular myth that this Jew is still alive and wandering because he's just waiting for Jesus to come back. And that that maybe is what this character is alluding to, um, or or theoretically is in Miller's mind. But he doesn't he doesn't make it clear. He could be that, or it could it could be three different characters. <laughs> we don't know for sure that it's just one. Because then Zerchi has his own, or not even Zerchi. Um, the second one whose name I forget. Uh, the second abbot who was friends with him thinks that he's sort of in his solitude because he can't find any other Jewish people because the Jewish people are so scattered. We're so scattered even before the flame deluge and now, you know, 1,200 years on or even more so. Don Paolo. Don Paolo. Oh, yes, of course. Paolo. Um, he, he was, he felt that it was, as he put it, like the inverse of the imperial we was his I. Like, I represents all of Israel, all of the Jewish nation and um, that was also interesting. I would explain why he considers Leibowitz like a relative because it sort of hinted that Leibowitz was Jewish originally. Yes. So you're... Hmm. I am falling towards the the wandering Jew and he met Leibowitz. Maybe. Yeah, that would make some sense. Like, he knew him. Yeah. Because, I don't know, I think if I was damned to eternal life on earth I would I would be in places that are going to be interesting (laughs) like I mean I wouldn't go chill in north chill in north I think at that point you get used to seeing what's going on that's true you're probably very good observing yeah like I mean imagine living life and like seeing the fall of Rome like that's, you know, the fall of Rome. The, fall of Rome, the Rome. original Dark Ages. Yeah, the, exactly. The original Renaissance. I think you end up going like, well, I can I can see the writing on the wall for what nations are going to be cool this century. <laughs> Let me go to America. they got lots of uninhabited lands. I'll just chill there until this whole thing passes. <laughs> Shit, they're here. Oh, my God. It's, it's Los Alamos. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing here? He's, like, walking around, like, holding a milk carton. He's like, I'm, you know. yeah Uh, (laughs) anyway Uh, conceivably okay one last thing Mm -hmm. moving on from the wandering Jew I think it's interesting I I didn't know that thank you for the information you're welcome so I thought I think this was Xerxes you know thoughts about the kind of mankind's problem that once a place becomes close to Eden, they become more aware of how it could never be Eden. Yeah. This was a theme that kept coming up, I think. 
Yeah, I think. Well, I think like Eden on Earth or something. Like, like there was a lot of like references to Eden. And I think. Yeah, and Eve. Yes, I think early on it was. It's to me at least seemed more just. Oh, this is just religious imagery. But towards the end, it became a very like direct comparison, that, hopefully, humanity will never kill itself on. These other places because. They are so far from being Eden. That, like, we'll never go, like, well, we'll never get there. We might as well just kill each other. <laughs> like what we did on Earth. So. Interesting. I don't know. It, it, it was, I mean, it was, it, it was an interesting perspective on it. I don't know if I totally buy it. Like, I don't know that humanity is, like... I mean, maybe there's a degree to which you're like, well, everything would be perfect if only those guys didn't exist, so, like, I'm gonna nuke them. Like, is that the argument, do you think? Well, I don't think that's directly the argument. I think that... Or is it more like we're just constantly striving, 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 and then we sort of reach a pinnacle, and... Because that pinnacle is not what we hoped it would be, it makes us bitter. I don't think necessarily that. I think it's like, well, we do the best we can in the place we have, and then we go, hey, maybe it's like once I have that too, it'll be better. It'll be perfect. Like I think that the that's why we did. That's why even knowing what we did, we still developed nuclear weapons. Right. I think that we reached a point where we wanted to. You know, develop everything we could, and obviously, like they weren't like you know they weren't gods among the world, right? They still had places to go. But they didn't want to leave an avenue completely undiscovered. Hmm. And it resulted in the development of nuclear weapons. Which is not great. No, it's definitely not great. I mean, for sure, the, the image of humanity painted in this book is not great. But it's not without hope. Um, no, and I think that the I think Miller's point he's trying to drive home is that knowledge without wisdom is incredibly dangerous. No, well, that's for sure. Like, I don't need... Especially, the real problem is that we very easily, in the political situation of most places, have, can have the ability to have leaders who have neither intelligence nor wisdom. <laughs> like they don't have the like they couldn't build a nuclear weapon. They don't have a goal, a great understanding of the devastation it can cause. I mean, yeah, normally our leaders don't have that intelligence. They need to rely on wisdom. Yeah, the idea is that they have wisdom. The hope is that they are the wise ones. We hope and know how and when to use it. <laughs> Ideally, right. And Ugh. that's something that you know a lot of places struggle with. It's not just like a oh American politics thing. It's like a oh politics thing. You know, the, the yeah. world round is full of leaders without wisdom. Who, and a, a lot more countries are getting nuclear weapons. You yeah. Know, as time goes on, like uh, they were talking about, I don't remember which story this was, but like even the weakest of states had nuclear weapons before the Great Flame Deluge. <laughs> because. It's interesting. I wonder when he was picturing the Flame Deluge to have happened. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Is they talking about, like, the mid-20th century? I would say being, like, about. Yeah. That's some fast progress, though. 
1,600 years? lots of nations that still don't have it. years? What? No, I'm saying... Um, oh, like the 20... Like if it was like 2050, the flame deluge. Yeah, if, if even the smallest nations had um, nuclear weapons, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I think the only reason we're not there... Unless, is, like, the U.S. just started selling them to smaller countries. Well, let's be real. Because I mean, between us and China and Russia, we're friends with all the smaller countries. <laughs> You've all got one of us. So, like, if, you know, we sold it to Israel, then someone would sell it to I don't to think Pakistan. Israel needs us. What? <sighs> Does Israel not have its own nuclear weapons program? I thought for sure they would. Um, I just don't know. Mm. I think they are a nuclear power, but I think we gave it to them. Anyway. Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. It doesn't matter. It was probably during, like, our right after World War II, like, we're gonna make Israel badass. And then Israel became badass on its own, and we're like, hey, do you need us? And they're like, not really. <laughs> but we can still be friends. We can still hang. Cool, cool. On the weekends. Anyway. Um, <laughs> we don't have time. So, it's, uh... It's How a, did you, uh... What? Go on. Go ahead. I was gonna change the subject, so okay, finish up what I was gonna say. Um, uh, how did you enjoy the writing of this book, like, specifically? Because I, I found it very enjoyable. Like, I found it very beautiful prose. And I agree. I really, I really liked how there were these moments where it almost burst into poetry. Yeah, it had so... There were parts where it had kind of a rhythmic, traditional feel to it. Yes, like, the part about the buzzards, I cannot not hear that in like almost a sing-song voice yes again the you know as their father parents did before them and for generations past their parents felt like it's such a it's i mean yeah aside from that though it like but that's a very neat you know it's a obviously it's part of the theme of the the book it's like the the cycle yeah the more things change the more they stay the same etc it's interesting though because at the end it wasn't buzzards it was the shark uh, I I wonder if that is to say like hey, we have been blasted so far back there. There's not even really land animals anymore. Like we're back to the oceans, baby. I mean that might be true. Like we have the buzzards are no longer king. Right, we have starships now. Like our nuclear weapons are probably more powerful. Yeah, and, no doubt. You know, there's a very and apparently there were a lot of them, based on the way things were being discussed. God, it's so insane to me. Just. First of all, I have such an issue with any of these books, or these stories, <laughs> where nowhere is untouched. Yeah. Like, who's out here nuking Switzerland? Who's out here nuking Uganda? Or Canada. <laughs> Leave Canada alone! <laughs> Canada doesn't like really have a beef with that. Their biggest beef with people is because they're like our neighbor and they don't hate us. People have a beef with Canada because Canada, like, is friends with America. That is that is the extent of it. And, like, Canada's kind of like, no, 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 like, we're not good friends. <laughs> but, like, now while we're in the room, because Canada's way too nice to do that. Well, of course not, eh? <laughs> Peter, that's made no sense. Listen, I speak Canadian. <laughs> and that made no sense. Oh, my God. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, like, there is totally places that are not being nuked to death. Now, I re- listen. Yes. I understand. Radiation moves. I'm with you. 
There are yes. still going to be places that, yes, they have a high rat count, and yes, they see an increased count of cancer, but, like, they're not destroyed. They're not, you know, terrible mutants, right. lost all knowledge. And do you know how big Russia is? Like, there is no Truth. way that we nuked all of it. I was thinking about, honestly, Africa a lot. <laughs> like, I feel like South Africa would have hung on. Was South Africa enemies with anyone in the 50s? Anyone, like, with nukes? I don't know. Well, no. I guess part of, we part of his ones. explanation. Like, it was us and Russia. They didn't fight with either yeah, of us. It was pretty much us and Russia. And I'm like, well, was were they on somebody's side? You know, like, proxy wars and all that? Um, well, you got... But I also feel like... I mean, yeah, we made a lot of nukes, but we probably just sent them all to Russia. And, like, the USSR is general, like, actual territories and not necessarily... Like, they're allies abroad. Yeah, and it would... Listen, I can't... Like, would have been very, very bad. Oh my god, yeah. But, like, why was Mer- North America where society rose again? <laughs> kind of feels like it should have been South Africa or, like, some other country that was, like... Yeah, like, modern, but not really wrapped up in things the way that the superpowers... Yeah, they the were still trying to catch are. up on, like, mass production of cars... Yeah, but they had knowledge and, like, universities and yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. They at least had a way of... Maybe it wasn't as... Like, the the level of knowledge that you were able to obtain was about even. It just wasn't as spread out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The access, like, was not as extensive, but the knowledge all existed. Right, exactly. Like, not everyone was literate, but there were people that could read just as well as anyone in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Definitely. It is crazy that that would be, like, totally nah. Especially because I'm thinking more, like, Northern Africa, because there's no way all of Northern Africa got nuked. Maybe Egypt. Yeah, totally. But, like... Uh, but they were pretty close to, like... They were pretty close to countries that would have for sure gotten nuked. Yeah, nukable country, Highly nukable countries. Highly, highly nukable places. I mean, yeah, but I'm also thinking, like, closer to the equator, because, like, yeah, nuclear winter is a real threat there. Oh, yeah, I guess. Um, there also didn't seem to be a nuclear winter. Yeah, I was about to say that. They didn't talk about that. But it also could be knowledge lost. I mean, I guess the the, the Albertian order of Leibowitz had existed the whole time, so like they probably would have kept records I of mean, that. I mean, it was found by Leibowitz, who lived before the It was found by age. Leibowitz, who was an army engineer, so... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a weapons engineer <laughs> for the flame deluge. Awkward. Yeah, it's a big oof. Yeah, big ol' oof. But he, he tried to make up for it. Yeah. It would have happened with or without Leibowitz's contributions, I am confident. I am very confident. Um, He's just a cog, man. <laughs> anyway. But, would the second of Flame Deluge have happened? I don't know. Uh, is there really, is there any? Did, did humanity destroy itself a second time because of the Leibowitz order? I don't think so. No? You think they would have remade that technology on their own? I mean... Without the memorabilia? Yeah, I think that the Leibowitz order probably... Like, I don't think the memorabilia... I think the memorabilia was valuable. But I don't think it was, mm-hmm. like... No, no, There wasn't memorabilia in there for the blueprints of how to build a nuclear weapon or anything. And, like, maybe there was talk of it, but, like... I think that it was probably mostly the knowledge that it was possible. Like, the first step to doing something is knowing you can do it. Yeah. And we didn't even need that the first time, so... Right, exactly. 
<laughs> we did it without that. It's one of the good things about humanity, in a way. Yeah. Took us a while. Sure. But with enough money and Nazis. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I mean the... Oh, wait, no, time. not Nazis. That's the space program. I got confused. <laughs> no, you mean communists. That's the space program. Nazis was the nuclear program. No, I mean when we took all the Nazis. <laughs> when we, like, pardoned a bunch of Nazis and brought them over here to work on the space program. Oh, yes. Or, and I guess they worked on the nuclear program, too, just not the initial development not the manhattan project not the manhattan project exactly um all right no i was talking about how like it took them 1800 years to go from essentially dark ages to nuclear holocaust this time uh yeah that's 800 years longer than it took us last time i guess that's a good point we got so much farther yeah because i have been thinking about it as being sort of 1200 years because like we started out in the dark ages but it, that was 600 years after the flame deluge yes so I, I see what you're saying yeah so the so you know it we made it longer also it took us longer to get there so i don't know it's a bit of this and that <sighs> totally random note how adorable did you find it when francis was talking about fallout as monsters yes I was so charmed. That was very great. It's an interesting... Uh, <laughs> pictures of his half-salamander, half-succubus. <laughs> oh, yeah. His stories with his song. Um, Father, uh... Chiroki. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at you pulling the names out. I actually remember that one. I didn't even read it anywhere. That's really weird that you remembered Father Chiroki. Because <laughs> I remember being like, that's a weird pronunciation of Cherokee. <laughs> verified whether it's actually spelled that way um no i just damn the, they said that name and i heard them saying like the kingdom of Ut or like the, the wandering tribes of utah and i was like oh that's just like a fucked up thing that they remembered from like the previous time and they're like <laughs> chair like nork is a cool name <laughs> like nork yeah it's like nork exactly like nork <laughs> anyway oh man Alrighty. let us do this. Do you want to do what? Well, usually I say that right before we record. Yeah, I know. What just happened? (laughs) Do you want to start recording now? Yeah, did you not record (laughs) yet? Alright, we got some good good baseline. (laughs) Did you have anything else you wanted to say, Cece? Um... I was trying to figure out what the name of the last book meant. Do you know? I do. It is Thy Will Be Done. Okay, that's what I thought. Oh, also, do God, you know my heart. What the, uh, the, the definition of quo perengrater grex pastor secum was? Uh, what point was that said? That quo, uh, for a second. Quo perengrater was the plan to take the monks and a copy of the memorabilia and send them to space. Oh, what, what does it mean? It means, whither wanders the flock, the shepherd is with them. Oh. Also, I would like to point out another reference to microfilm, that very advanced storage medium. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for remembering that, because I was like, yeah, we gotta call that out. <laughs> very uh, Asimovian, so... I know! I appreciate that. Listen, we have perfected memory storage technology. <laughs> oh my god. Listen, you know Phil? You've heard of film, right? (laughs) 
Listen to this shit. It's going to blow your mind. <laughs> we took that and we made it. A smaller Small film. Small <laughs> film. <laughs> Man, they're going to lose it when they hear about hard drives. <laughs> if only they'd live to see. Instead of nuking themselves out of existence. Meanwhile, like... like col- colony ships and microfilm. Oh, God. We're expecting, like, 30 terabyte hard drives next year. Or 28 terabyte or something like that. Wow. Like, on a single hard drive. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So, fuck you, microfilm. <laughs> how many terabytes... How, how many microfilms would you need to get 28 terabytes? I'm assuming 28 tera microfilms. <laughs> I <I'd> guess. <laughs> So stupid. <laughs> oh wait, my god. Wait, I need to know if this is real. Do you know if this is a real thing? That letter that the Pope gave Francis, that if they oh, the yeah, the... opened it, they would be excommunicated? Probably is, dude. Probably. It's probably some old medieval church stuff, but like, this was basically the Middle Ages. So. That falls into one of those things where I'm like, fuck, that's insane, but I'm sure the church has it. It's like one of those weird things that's just, yeah, right. It's like a Middle Ages shit that the church did. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, man. That was Okay, wild. wait. So, one last oh my God. quote to discuss. Well, not even discuss, just to reference. So, the passage that begins with, we are your centuries, or we, we are the centuries. Yes. It's very beautiful. That's another part where it had, like, this sort of rhythmic feeling. Um, but I love... We bury your dead in their reputations. We bury you. We are the centuries. Be born then, gasp wind, screech at the surgeon's slap, seek manhood, taste a little godhood, feel pain, give birth, struggle a little while, succumb. Dying, leave quietly by the rear exit, please. Like, that just, that just gives me chills. That is very good. It's such a... There's like a zoomed out picture of life, but I mean, yeah. The Sikh manhood tastes a little godhood is what gets me, I Sikh think. Sikh manhood tastes a little godhood is very visually compelling. Yeah. It's just, oh man, like, take, take, uh, yeah, become a man and have just a moment where you almost make it. Yeah, I, you almost surpass i really that really um resonates with the image of the people who launched the missiles to me like yeah. they you know became men or women or whatever they became adults they they reached the culmination of that life and then they for a moment were like an angel of death yeah they held such extraordinary power in their hands i mean and unprecedented for the first time amount of power <laughs> you know before we did it again it was precedented After everything that happened in this book was precedented I mean yes <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's the whole point <laughs> oh that's this is such a this is like a great book I'm glad I ordered this yeah it was, it was a really good book it's gonna get it on my shelf and it's gonna be like something I've like, never been so like giddy about such a depressing book before yeah like when I read The Road I was like fuck this sucks <laughs> I'm glad I read it. I'm never going to read it again. This is not how I feel about Leibowitz. That's usually how I feel about very good Grimm things. Yes. 
That is not how I feel about this one. I will probably read this book many times in yeah, my life. Yeah, I think I will definitely read this book. I will recommend this book. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Let's wrap up, Peach. Yeah. What are we doing next month? Okay. We are returning to a favorite author of ours. Uh, we are returning to Scalzi in Old Man's War. John Scalzi. Oh, yes. So. I love it. Uh, it is. I have never read this book. I have. It is. It is, falls in the category of amazing sci-fi books that are like widely acclaimed and everyone's like oh old man's war and i'm like i've never read it <laughs> and they go that- peter didn't you say one time in shame that you have a sci-fi podcast and i go <laughs> who told you <laughs> sort of like both of us with dude before we started our sci-fi podcast <laughs> exactly yeah no that that book is very well thought of and i actually have read it I kind of forgot that I have read it, but I have read it. It makes me worried about the quality of this book, TC, to be honest. No, it was really good. And it's very interesting. And it's definitely a rich vein, I think. But okay. <laughs> I forgot because I read it on paper, I think. <laughs> but I thought that that would help me retain things better, but apparently not. So anyway. You've completely converted to audio. It was like last summer. It was not that long ago. I don't know why I forgot. Very funny. But it is very good. I think I'm just, I think I'm just confused about whether or not we did it before, but we didn't. We did. I'm thinking of the Forever War. We did do the Which we, oh, did. we did do the Forever War. And they're both sort of that same basic concept of like far flung wars, <laughs> but otherwise not exactly the same at all. Okay. Anyway, good pick. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to revisit this book. It's very good. Again. Yes. Because apparently the first time didn't stick. (laughs) Well, we'll get back after it, CC. Yeah. (laughs) We'll go for for two. Um, All right, Peter. Well, that sounds great. That will be uh, April 6th is the due date for that one. Yes. Yes, it's So cool. Um, If our listeners want to find us, where can they find us? Uh, They can find us. On facebook.com forward slash sci fi sidebar or facebook.com forward slash signifying nothing network. We're also on Twitter at signothingnet and of course on all of your podcast carriers your, your Apple Podcasts, your Spotify, pretty much anywhere you want to go. Uh, we would love it if you would rate and review um, and you know spread the word about us especially if you enjoyed this podcast if you didn't enjoy it maybe don't review <laughs> email us don't, hey listen don't, don't like trouble yourself listen we hear you we got it you don't have you, to worry we've about we've taken it. enough of your time yeah, i appreciate you uh have a good day i guess <laughs> go in peace brother <laughs> oh, my all right God. uh we have anything else peter um you can also email us at sci-fi sidebar at signifyingnothingnetwork.com. Yes, that's right. Uh, and so, you know, feel free to reach out if you have any recommendations, requests, or um, just want to, you know, shout into the void. Or just thoughts about any of our episodes or other books we covered. Um, yeah. Or if you happen to be an affluent Japanese person, tell us how you feel about the bombings. Uh, I'll take any Japanese person. I don't have you don't have to be affluent. <laughs> no, only rich people. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, of course, we would love to hear from any Japanese people. Forgive me, I am a dope. <laughs> you, you saw an opportunity and you couldn't resist it. It was really what happened. Uh, on that note, this has been Sci-Fi Sidebar from the Signifying Nothing Network. A tale told by humans. See you next time, guys. Bye, guys. See you next time.